What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the Crown Hoops podcast. We are on to episode number 52 now. My name is Jordan Daly. With me this week, we got Stacey Collier, Ben Okazawa, and a special guest, eight-year NBA veteran, Jermaine Jones. Welcome to the podcast, man. We're excited to have you. And I appreciate you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so we have a lot to talk about, um, so we'll get right into it with a quick introduction so people can get to know you as a NBA player, and I'm sure you're also an NBA fan as well. So kind of started off, do you have a favorite team? Obviously, you played for a lot of different teams, but do you have a team that you tend to cheer for? Obviously, your, your alma mater, UGA, obviously is a big team, but do you have an NBA team you cheer for? Um, well, I'm a pretty much a, a NBA players fan. So, uh, you know, I kind of follow individuals, but if it was a team that, you know, I would watch night in and night out, it would probably be the, uh, the Philadelphia 76ers. And the reason for that is, you know, because that's where, you know, I had most joy, actually. You know, most people know that being able to play in the finals. So I kind of feel, you know, that the most success I've had in the NBA for us wins and being, you know, to play in the finals. So I kind of lean towards the 76ers. That's really interesting. I find it that you said you find you follow players more than teams. Uh, we had Craig Smith on last week and he said the same thing. So, I mean, once you play for teams, it must be hard to kind of pick a favorite, right? Right. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I mean, if you said Boston, I would have been a little bit more happy. Obviously. Oh, <laughs> nah, nah, nah. Uh, here that's we go. That's the last pick. That's a lot. That's at the here bottom. Here we go. <laughs> they give me crap for it every week. I already know. <laughs> oh, oh, um, oh, so we got we got Boston guys here. Yes, sir. Straight out of Boston. We got Boston, <laughs> Toronto, and LA all represented okay. right now. All um, right. <laughs> so do you have some favorite players that you like that you're following? Current, all time. Um, well, you know, most of the guys that played during my time, you know, I pretty much keep up with them. And to be honest with you, man, I, the newer guys, I mean, I wouldn't be able to tell you about any of them. Um, you know, I, I watched the guys that I played against and, you know, that was around in the league when I was uh, still around. So obviously I'm a really, really big, big fan of, um, LeBron James on and off the court. Um, it's hard, it's hard not to. You know, like a guy like LeBron, I always tell people, if you don't like LeBron, you're a hater. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, interesting you should say that, Jordan. <laughs> I was a LeBron hater, but my mind on that has <laughs> Once someone stops you in the Eastern Conference Finals so many times, it just <laughs> gets to you after well, a while, man. I mean, I guess, I guess that's a good reason. Yeah. Some, people don't, some people don't even have a reason. <laughs> oh it's it's all it's all like on the court so it was the same thing with Kobe when he played it's like I hated playing against oh, obviously I didn't play against him I hated when the Celtics played against him because he'd always kill us he'd roast us. <laughs> LeBron did the same thing I'm so glad he's on the west coast now I I don't really have to hate him as much anymore it's great right. but off the court yeah I couldn't agree with you more everything he's done with the school and all that I think it's outstanding right. um do you have like a favorite NBA moment whether one you were a part of or one that you witnessed anything like that um, well, I just actually spoke about it, man. You know, being a 21-year-old kid, um, you know, from Cocoa, Florida, um, you know, I, no one ever could have told me that I would be that guy at 21 years old starting in the NBA Finals, you know what I mean, against, you know, the Los Angeles Lakers when you were playing against Shaquille O'Neal in his prime and Kobe Bryant in his prime, um, you know, to have the whole world watching you. 
um, at that young age at 21 years old. And it's a lot of people that never got that opportunity to play in the NBA Finals. Um, you know, I got to say that was definitely the highlight of, of my career to be able to, you know, to be a part of that. Yeah, there's an epic picture of you guarding Kobe in the finals with both the finals patches on the jerseys. I think that's so cool. Um, <laughs> but kind of you mentioned it. You kind of played in like the prime years of the NBA where, you know, you got the back end of Jordan's career. You played against Kobe, LeBron, pretty much all the stars the NBA seen in a very, very long time. You got, you know, to go against them, play with them in some aspect. Uh, who were some of your favorite teammates that you played with and some of the best guys to compete against? Um, you know, being a competitor, man, I like to compete against everybody, to be honest. No, it was a joy every single night you stepped out on the court for me, um, you know, because I love the game so much. Just to go out every single night to compete against somebody that you know, um, you know, because most of the time that I went out, I had to guard guys that, that can easily put up 50 points. So every night, you know, especially at the three at the three position, man, you know, there was no nights off. So every night you had to be ready. Um, as far as my teammates, man, uh, I had two, two teammates that I really um, enjoyed my time with. One of them was Allen Iverson was an excellent uh, teammate. And the reason being is because, you know, you play, I played on uh, six different teams and played with all stars and no, no one did the things that Allen Iverson did. Um, you know, a lot of people, you know, looked at him and said that he was one of those guys that was selfish, but um, you know, he was one of those guys that stood up for his teammates. Uh, a lot of people, you know, didn't understand why him and Larry Brown got into it so much, but it was mainly because of the, his teammates that was complaining about certain things that, that Larry Brown didn't want to really change, you know, him being an older, stern coach. So when, when, when Allen Iverson used to hear us, you know, cause basketball is not equal opportunity. Like I can't be the guy to go say anything to Larry Brown, but Allen Iverson can because he fills up the seats. You know what I mean? So, so he was the guy that kind of stood up for the team whenever they felt the way about things that was going on. Uh, on the court or even off the court, he was the guy that spoke up for you. He was the guy in the games, if you won or lost, he was the guy that's telling his teammates how much he loved them and, you know, saying that he wouldn't change his teammates for the world. I mean, to hear that from the best player, uh, one of the top players in the league, um, and do the things that he does night in and night out, you know, players appreciate that because most players that are in position to do that, they don't. And, and, and that's, that's one of my reasons why he's one of my favorite uh, teammates. And my second, my second guy is Lamar Odom. Uh, Lamar Odom is just one of those guys that you got to love him. You know, he's so unselfish. He's one of the guys that don't need the basketball. So I looked up to him so much more on the court because he, at the end of the night, he still got 17, 11, and five, six assists. And you never even see him touch the basketball hardly. So, so, you know, to be able to be able to do that at your size and be so athletic, um, you know, I always looked at him as being the teammate that everybody would want to play with. Okay. And one thing I find interesting is you obviously, you also got the chance to play alongside Kobe Bryant for, I think, two two seasons, right? One season, two seasons? One, one season. One season. So, obviously, we saw a couple months ago, we saw the Last Dance documentary. We saw how Jordan was as a teammate. How was Kobe as a teammate? Was he anything comparable to that? Or was he – yeah, I'll let you take it away on that. Man, he was exactly like what you've seen. <laughs> he, he, he wanted the best 
for his teammates. I mean, like he was gonna try to get the best out of you because every day at practice he was gonna get the best. He you was gonna get the best of Kobe. The Kobe that you've seen in games, you was gonna see that same Kobe at practice. And and he went that hard because he wanted to set an example. Like you know, like I, I want perfection. I'm trying to win a championship night in and night out. And he wants you to feel the same way. And and he was that guy that was going to push you and try to give you one of those guys that was kind of laid back. <laughs> well, that, that, that's 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 not what Kobe likes. He's definitely going to push your butts to try to get you on edge, you know, and be competitive like he was. And, and he was definitely like Michael Jordan in so many ways. Um, it's funny because Kobe was one of those guys that I didn't really care for before I played with him until I played with him to – to really more understand him, um, you know, because I used to not like Kobe for the reason that because I, I'm a big Jordan fan. I didn't like him simply because he was trying to be like Mike. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, it, it's crazy. But then, you know, when I actually had an opportunity to sit down and have a conversation with the guy, um, you know, the first thing I asked him, I was like, man, what do you think about people saying that you're trying to be like Mike? And, and he laughed and he was like, <laughs> he was like, man, I just laugh at that. Because, like, why not try to be, like, the greatest player that ever played the game? Like, why not? And he gave me a whole different perspective on how he, you know, explained why he wanted to be like Mike. Like, he's the greatest guy that played this game. Why wouldn't I want to model myself after this guy? He did everything. He did everything right on the court. He, like, I even studied his interviews. He was just perfect during interviews. And I was thinking about it. Like, man, he's absolutely right. Like, why not want to be like Mike? So he gave me a whole different perspective, man. It, it was just great being around greatness, to be honest, for an entire season. <laughs> yeah, awesome. and I wanted to ask you just real quick, because, I mean, soft like Sherman, when he called his teammates in, in a Lakers practice, he said, you're soft like Sherman. That's like <laughs> one of my favorite, you know, my favorite quotes I've ever heard from Kobe. So I just wanted <laughs> to ask you, I mean, that, that was super creative trash talk. Did you Do you remember any, like, creative – quotes like when he was trash talking you guys during practice or opponents during games well I mean I don't know man Kobe to be honest man Kobe didn't really respect many players unless you earned that respect from him and 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 um you know it, it even came times that you know I was at practice I would lose respect for players for how Kobe you like players used to allow him to, to talk to them you know what I mean so it, it was crazy man but um uh, I tell you a funny story. Uh, to me, I was like, man, Kobe, like, I don't understand it, man. You're the only superstar I ever seen that come to practice and practice hard as you practice like you're in the game. And I was like, I was like, why is that? And he was like, Jermaine, let me tell you something, man. He said, when I come in here and practice like I practice, the reason being because I don't want anybody in this practice to actually think that they're going to be able to get a shot up in the game. So I'm going to be able to practice just like I play. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I got a I got a question. Um speaking on um on Kobe and Allen Iverson, you know, you played with Allen Iverson at the be towards the beginning of your career and Kobe towards the back end. And then you expand your game overseas. How did they leadership style impact you personally to where you get to expand your game, you get to play in the NBA and these other leagues as long as you had? Um well, I mean, I wouldn't just say just those guys because I learned a whole lot from different guys. Um, you know, obviously, you know, you learn a lot of stuff from Allen Iverson. Like, he going to play every game like his last. You know what I mean? So that's just something, you know, you pick up from him with Kobe. You know, his work ethic was like, 
impeccable. Like I've never seen anybody work as hard as this guy, like not even close. You know what I mean? Like I'm that guy to go into practice one hour early. He's drenched in sweat before I even get in there and he's staying afterwards. So, I mean, I was even looking at him to just to be like, man, like I don't even want to be that good if that's how much work I got to put in. But, um, I mean, you learn so much from different players. Uh, I, I really uh, give kudos to my high school coach because when I was in high school, man, he used to always, like, I was so athletic. People don't even understand. I had, like, a 40-inch vertical. Hunger, so all I wanted to do was dunk. And, um, you know, in my 10th grade year, man, he used to hold practices where, um, hold practices where I couldn't dunk. Like, if you dunk, everybody's getting on the line. So, because he wanted me to expand my game. He's like, Jermaine, you're not going to be able to do that in college. You know, guys are just as good as you are, just as athletic. And if you want to be able to go to this next level and be successful, you're going to have to expand your game. And and from that day, man, I learned how to do other other things, um, you know, through him and trusting the process that he had for me. And to be able to and, – and it's funny because uh, I, was a, I, had, I was a shooter, you know, all through high school and college and people never knew that till later on in my career because I was so athletic. All I wanted to do was dunk. Um, so I always worked on a lot of parts of my game and I was able to last in the league so long because I was able to adjust uh, my game to different situations that I was in. Because if, if a lot of people remember when I went to University of Georgia, I led the SEC in scoring. And I was a scorer. I thought the 76ers drafted me just to come in and help Allen Iverson score. So when I came in, the first day of practice, all I was doing was scoring. Larry Brown comes to me like, listen here, uh, Jermaine, if you want to play for me, um, you got to find something else to do because we got a little guy on our team who's going to shoot 50 times a night. And he was <laughs> he was talking about uh, Allen Iverson. So then from that point on, I had to adjust myself to be able to adapt to a certain situation. So, and I, and I take my hat off to my coach to, you know, for, you know, having me expand my game to be able to do multiple things. So that's how I was able to, to uh, you know, survive my eight years in the league. And then, you know, overseas, it was so much easier because I was playing the four, you know, I played the three, you know, throughout, uh, you know, the NBA and then, to go overseas now I'm at the four I'm like man no four can stay in front of me so the game got a lot easier to me and then you know once the athleticism goes you know you know I was blessed to be able to play with coaches like you know Larry Brown, Rudy Tomjanovich you know some Hall of Fame coaches and picking up a lot of things from them you know once you get older you put all of that stuff together and you know I was pretty much coaching the teams when I was over in Europe you know what I mean? Like, I was running the practices. Like, this is what we need. Like, I need two scores. You know what I mean? I need two 20-point scores. We're going to be competing for a championship every year. So, um, you know, I just adapted my game. I learned more and more each year. I was always coachable. I always want, willing to learn more um, about the game. I had to learn how to be professional. Just a lot that came in, um, you know, in different places because if you go overseas with the wrong attitude, you'll really be sent home early. A lot of NBA guys go over there and don't survive. And the reason being because they feel like they don't supposed to be there and they're better than a lot of the guys over there. But basketball is basketball and you got to respect it as that. And to be able to survive as long as I did, you got definitely got to respect the game. <laughs> uh, what, what was your preparation like knowing that you was going to start 
in the NBA Finals against the Lakers of all teams. Like, I know that you had just got the word. So, like, what was that like? What was going through your mind? What was, like, the emotions? And I tell people this all the time, not even in the NBA Finals, man. Every single game, I was nervous. Mm. Every every game I ever played, I was always nervous in the beginning of the game. I was one of those guys that had to go get a rebound or foul somebody or do something out on the court for me to get back in, in, in suit. Like, okay, I'm cool now. No matter what it was, I felt like I had to get come. So, you know, I was so hyped, you know, just to be hear my name called in the NBA Finals. Like, I had to adjust to, like, okay, man, you can't get too hyped before this game. You're going to need all this energy when the game starts. You know, I'm 21 years old. I'm excited, man. All my family, you know, calling me, talking about they see me on the TV. Everybody that I know is watching the game. It's the finals. Everybody watched the finals. So, for me, um, you know, the adjustment was just to be able to relax and just concentrate simply on the game and not think about anything else outside of that, especially being 21 years old. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, I mean, I was just wondering personally, I mean, obviously you spent the, the beginning of your career in Philadelphia, but for a player like yourself who's kind of in between cities, you know, two seasons in one franchise, two seasons in another, what's sort of the impact? Because I know, man, change, change is never easy. Um, so what's sort of the impact and what's that experience like just moving around? Well, you know what, man, I was blessed um, more than some because most of the times that I moved, it was it was like during the off season. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't like I was being, um, you know, moved during the season and, you know, you got to adapt to a new place, a new system during the mid mid season. So I was blessed to be able to do that. And when you talk about, um, you know, adapt, uh, adapting to different places, man, it's easy to do because, you know, if you play AAU basketball, you travel all over the world in the summertime playing. So, I mean, that was just something that we was accustomed to doing, you know, from from high school. You know, I played with Atlanta Celtics, one of the top AAU programs in the world, where all summer we was traveling in different cities. So you kind of get accustomed to that um, at a young age um, and just basketball, just basketball. Um, you know, that's why I say I was blessed because it, I could see it being difficult for a lot of people when you're being traded during the middle of the season where you have to change teams, coaches, um, you know what I mean, trying to find a different place. So that can be difficult. So I was just blessed not, you know, me not uh, being traded during during uh, during the season. Continuing on kind of with that thought process, um, after you got out of the NBA and kind of the sport of basketball, you kind of shifted your focus. You became an advocate for mental health. Uh, you're now working with a program called Mindful Sport and Performance, uh, working on kind of bringing awareness to mental health in sports. Uh, do you want to talk about kind of your experience with that and, and you know, your experience with mental health in the NBA? I don't think a lot of people understand that, um, you know, famous people, celebrities, professional athletes, I don't think people understand that stuff like that happens to everyone. Money is not everything. You know what I mean? So you want to talk on that a little bit? Um. You know what, man, I'm such a big advocate of mental health, man, because a lot of things that I experienced throughout my life that, uh, you know, I, I, I had to learn that it was mental health issues. <laughs> you know what I mean? I had to learn that once I got older. Um, you know, I look back on things now, like, you know, from the day that I got drafted, man, it was it was it was hell on me. Um, it was too much for me. Um, I was just one of those guys. I was never moved by money. All I ever want to do is have a dream of 
of, of um, being in the NBA. Um, you know, I was going through so much, um, you know, with family, fi with finances, because, you know, my rookie year, I was uh, making $650,000. You know, for me at 19 years old being drafted, I thought I was rich. I come from low, you know, the most money any of my family ever seen was like income tax time. You know what I mean? So I come from a very poor, uh, you know, poor family. So we didn't really have much. So for me to get that a whole lot came down on me financially, you know, with family, friends and everybody else that was surrounding, you know, surrounding me because I'm looked at as that NBA player. And it was too much on me because I'm wondering why everything is changing around me. Um, I just couldn't understand because I wasn't that way. I didn't get raised the way that way. I even see like friends, you know, I, I was always, I was always understanding that, you know, people that didn't know me that was outside of the game of basketball treat me like Jermaine Jones, a basketball player. But when it came to a point where your friends and your family start treating you like that, instead of the Jermaine Jones that you grew up with, it becomes very, um, it becomes tough on you because then you're wondering why, you know what I mean? And then, you know, you're playing four or five games out of the week and, you know, things like that going through your head, but you really can't really have time to even feel bad about that. Like you got to go prepare and try to be perform at your highest level and with all this other stuff that's going on in your mind. You know what I mean? Finances. Like I don't even know anything about, um, I didn't even know anything about, taxes like like I'm a 19 year old kid they didn't teach us that in college you know anything about that and who's going to teach me that in my family you know what I mean I got 16 aunties and uncles half of them dropped out of middle school and the rest dropped out and like most of them dropped out in high school so who's going to educate me help me educate on this you know what I mean so it's just a lot that you know from my upbringing that I wasn't educated on for a 19 year old kid to be thrown into the NBA um, with Wolves, that was a whole lot that was coming down on me. I had to try to choose and, and do a lot of stuff on my own. I felt like I was in the world by myself at 19 years old. It was the highlight of my life to get drafted, to be able to travel the world. But it was a whole lot of stuff that I had to carry from city to city. And basketball was pretty much something that I used to be able to veer away from a lot of that stuff. So that's why it was so big for me, um, you know, you know, it was so tough on me once I retired because I didn't have that anymore. I didn't have basketball to be able to get a lot of stuff off of me. Um, after my fourth year in the NBA, man, um, I had no money at all. You know, that was hard to, to go through that, go through that process um, because my heart was so big. When I got drafted, I didn't buy myself anything. I, I just wanted to make everybody else smile. That was how my heart was. I always wanted to make everybody happy. At the end of my fourth year, I didn't have a dime because I had given given everybody. Everybody that asked, I was given. And and it was it, it became another uh, you know another process for me when you know my fifth year. I'm realizing, okay, that's it. I'm not giving anybody else any money. Now you start losing friends and family and they're telling you that you've changed. <laughs> That's another tough thing that you got to deal with. How are you losing family that you didn't grew up with all this time because you decided they're telling you you changed, but I'm growing up and I know I got kids I, that I got to look out for. I got a family now and they're telling me I changed. That's hurtful. That's something that's going to be on your mind, but I still got to go out here and perform at a high level 
and, and I can't tell them, hey, I'm going through this with my family. Hey, I'm going through this with, you know, my relationship at home. It's always something that I was going through. So the three years, uh, I, I went through a deep depression after basketball ended for me. So that's why I'm such a big advocate to be able to reach out to a lot of athletes to be able to, because I went through so much. I could talk, sit here and talk for two or three weeks about a lot of mental health issues that I experienced through my time playing basketball. So I just want to be that person to be able to be open and be open about my experiences. Hopefully that a lot of people can, um, you know, listen to the, a lot of things that I have to say and be more open because you can't help a lot of people unless, you know, you're open to talk about it because a lot of things that sit into you, man, that's just killing you. It's killing you when you're sitting on a lot of stuff. Not just for me sitting here having a conversation right now, it's therapeutic for me. You know what I mean? Like I love to sit back and talk about things so people can understand. Like it's just because you're making money, you're still going through a whole lot of stuff and, and money doesn't cure money doesn't cure a whole lot of things. So I like to get out and try to let people know that it's okay to go and ask for help. It took me a long time to be able to ask for that. I'm still going through a lot of, a lot right now. Um, you know, yes, I've come a long way. I'm proud of where I am now. Um, but for me, uh, I just feel like um, I want to keep getting better each and every day. And the thing is, you know, I got a good, I got good people around me that, you know, they check on me all the time. I check on them. We hold each other accountable for a lot of things that we do. And and that's what you need when you're going through that because once that ball stops bouncing, it's hard. So I'm 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 happy now that I actually found something that I'm more passionate about than I was with basketball and helping people to get through this and to be able to talk about it, man. I I I'm 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 just happy about where I am now. So you actually started up, uh, I don't know if you started up, but you're working with a program now called Mindful Sport and Performance. What's kind of the, kind of the, some of the stuff that, you know, you focus on with them and some of the things you guys work on? Well, we got so many different legs with, the, you know, the main the main part of it is is, is the mental health part. Um, we have a youth program where we go out and, uh, you know, pretty much use just basketball for a platform. Um, you know, you get people in there, you get the kids in there to be able to talk because I like to also talk about, talk to kids about other opportunities because everybody's not going to make the NBA. It's a 1% chance that kids going to make the NBA. Um, you know, it's only 450 NBA players every year and they're going in and out. It's not that even many retired NBA players at this point. Like you got to be very elite. So what I try to talk to the youth about is, is letting them know that there's a lot of other opportunities around the game of basketball. If you love the game of basketball, like I do, um, there's a lot of opportunities. Um, you know, people don't even know the mascot makes six figures. <laughs> you know, what I mean? the mascot makes six figures. You can be an agent. You can be a commentator. Um, you know, if you like it that much, ball, ball boys make a lot of money. You know what I mean? Like, it's just so much stuff that that's around the game. Um, you know, so we try to make the kids aware of that so that they don't focus in just on basketball. And there's other opportunities other than that because that 1% just like hitting the lottery. And, 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 and we try to stop a lot of things while they're young, give them opportunities to think about other things other than that just to stop the mental health start in that aspect for trying to be an athlete at a high level. Yeah. And I, I've got another question here, but first of all, I just wanted to say like, it's a huge stigma around mental health for athletes and mental health for men as well too. Um, 
and even just like therapy and getting help in general for for guys especially again uh so man thanks for the work that you're doing uh is definitely really important um but even along that same line i just wanted to ask as a professional athlete getting injured what's that impact like maybe just not even on your mental health but just on life in general and your career um well i was very fortunate throughout my career man um you know, I really, I never had any real serious injuries, but I tell you what, when I signed with Boston Celtics, I signed a three-year deal there. And, uh, you know, I was so pumped about um, the reason I signed there because Paul Pierce and Antoine Walker was there at the time. So I was like, I think that's a great opportunity for me to go there and I'll be making the playoffs. I had just left Cleveland from not making any playoffs those two years. So I wanted to, to go there to, to, to uh, you know, make a better name for myself where I can be able to make more money. Um, and I went there and I tore him. I, I didn't tear it. I uh, sprained my hamstring and I went from, you know, rehabbing that worked hard to get back so I can get back to playing. And it was maybe two days, you know, that I had started practicing and I, and I, and I, did the same injury to the other hamstring. So I was pretty much out pretty much the whole season. And then, you know, that was tough on me to sit there and watch my teammates practice every single day. Like I felt like I wasn't a part of the team. Um, it seemed like nobody really cares once you're hurt. You know what I mean? Like you're just going through the process. You're sitting here watching practice where, you know, you want to be out there, but physically you can't you can't be um you just feel like you're in the world by yourself because nobody really understands injuries um you know you go through you go through a phone um it, it was so tough on me that year man because i'm that person like i'd rather be practicing than be rehabbing yeah. <laughs> you know what i mean so so just for that being out of the game um you know a game that you love and, you, and you're sitting there mentally, you know, you think you got to do everything you can and hoping you can piece things back quickly. And it just doesn't work like that when, when you got certain injuries. Some injuries just take time. And, you know, some me, I wasn't built for taking away time from the game because I was a gym rat and I always wanted to be, be out there. So that was very tough on me. All right. So moving on, we had some questions sent into us for you from our Twitter account. Uh, so we'll kind of rapid fire those off. Uh, mm -hmm. This one's from at Jad M Barack seven. I probably butchered the pronunciation. Of that. I'm so sorry. Um, but he had a question about your overseas experience and I'm going to butcher another pronunciation of something. He wanted to know what your experience was like playing in Lebanon for Sagasi. I don't know if I said that right. Um, <laughs> Hey man, I tell you what, man, it's, it's funny still story about that, man. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was um this is this is like my first year overseas I think it was. Yeah, this is my first year overseas. Um I was in Italy. I was playing in Italy all year and it was just a lot of stuff that was going on in Italy at that time. I think the uh you know I think I had got like two two payments uh, from this Italian team in Naples, man. And then I, I didn't receive another check after that. So, so I was sitting there thinking like, well, I got to go find somewhere else to play just so I can, you know, make some money. And, uh, this team in Lebanon called me and my agent hit me like, man, what do you think about going to Lebanon? So I'm sitting there thinking like, 
Lebanon, like man, everything I see on the news about Lebanon, like, <laughs> like bro, I don't know, I don't know about going over there. So he was like, man, he's like, man, there's nothing like that, man. Let me uh, call and make sure everything's gonna be okay, and then you know I'll call you back. So he calls around. He's like, man, listen, man, you know everything's gonna be okay. You know nothing's gonna go on over there. You know, you know teams are still playing. So I end up signing, you know, to go over there to play it during the playoffs too. So I go over there. As soon as I land, they shut the airports down. <laughs> they shut the airports down and they're in war with some, I don't even know who it was, but it was so crazy for me because I had never experienced anything like that. Everywhere I went, it was like tanks and uh, it was smoke everywhere where People were just shooting bombs everywhere. And the people were just walking around like nothing was <laughs> going on, like it was like normal. And I'm sitting here like I'm so scared because I had learned like, you know, everywhere you travel, you normally know, check in to the to the American embassy, you know, and then they'll let you know if anything goes on, they're gonna send you emails and let you know. So I'm reading these things, they telling me what areas I shouldn't be going to. And, and and where I should be. So I'm sitting here like, man, this is crazy. Like, why is people just still walking around here? Like, this is just normal stuff that's going on here. And I can hear bombs going off and nobody's acting like there's anything wrong. So man, I was scared to death over there in Lebanon. I couldn't leave because they shut the airports down. So that was that was probably the uh that that was tough that was tough on me playing in Lebanon. Man, I had an excellent time being over there because I had a guy um, that pretty much looked out for the Americans over there. So he he kind of made me feel more comfortable about it, man. But I used to always tell my friends back home, I was like, man, y'all think about y'all think it's thugs over here, man. Y'all, <laughs> y'all go to y'all go to Lebanon. Let me see how many of y'all are real thugs. <laughs> yeah, what's it kind of like uh, adjusting to life overseas? Like, how does that kind of change your outlook on life, seeing how different things are in different countries compared to the U.S. Man, I tell you, man, I, my experience over there, I loved it, man. Other than the, the Lebanon thing, man, everything else was great, man. I, I like, But I do tell you one thing, like, you never really appreciate being American until you travel the world, um, you know, because me, it's big. It, it was big for me to do the things that I did because I never wanted to travel the country. Um, I'm like, man, I'm American. But to be able to go experience different cultures, um, to be able to see so many different places. Um, I was very fortunate, man. I enjoyed every experience. Uh, I loved Italy. I loved Israel. Like every country that I went to, I experienced something different. I experienced different cultures. I did experience different foods. Um, it, it was tough on me when I first went over there because <laughs> my first year I was in Italy and like nobody was talking to me. I was the only American on the team. <laughs> so, so, um, I'm sitting there for two weeks. Every time we went out to eat, like it's like I'm there alone. I got like 12, 13 other players all speaking in Italian. I don't know any Italian and nobody's even trying to talk to me. So that was tough for me those two weeks. I called my agent up. I say, listen here, man, you need to let them know that they need to get another American in here. I'm going <laughs> home. <laughs> so they was like, so so I think it was like two days later they got another American in there because <laughs> they, they were scared that I was going to leave, which I was, because I was like, there's no way I can do this all year. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I was booked to be there for 10 months. And um, so they uh, brought in this other American. Soon as this American come in, everybody on the team started speaking English to him. 
<laughs> so I'm sitting here like, y'all speak English? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, we speak English. I'm like, man, listen, I sat here for two whole weeks and nobody spoke English to me. And then the, one of my really good friends, still a good friend of mine to this day, uh, named Simone Flamini. He told me, he said, man, you got to understand, man, you played eight years in the NBA and actually played. Like, nobody ever been on the team. Everybody was just scared to even have a conversation with you. Like, everybody, like, I was like, are you kidding me? And they was like, yeah, man. Like, everybody was petrified to say anything to you. I said, did I appear one of those guys that was a butthead or, or just mean to everybody? They was like, no, they just never had anybody your caliber. Eight years in the NBA, nobody nobody has that kind of player coming to their team. And you were so humble. Like, everybody was just scared of the fact that just because you was in the NBA, I was like, man, that's cool. I, I said, that's cool, though, man. But and I'm still friends with all of those guys on that team. So that was a great experience, man. I enjoyed traveling the world over there. Uh, my experience overseas was a lot better, um, you know, than being here, to be honest, man. I, I still love it. I still talk about me moving over there maybe when I turn 50. I, I love I love traveling over there. That's awesome. Uh, this question right here is from Matt Huff, NBA. Which player had the highest basketball IQ like during your time? Oh, man, that's that's easy. <laughs> that's easy. I know y'all see my shirt, man. I know y'all. <laughs> maybe y'all only see Kobe, but that's me next to him. <laughs> that's awesome. There you go. But, but, man, I tell you what, man. Um, Kobe Bryant basketball IQ, man, was insane, man. I give you a story, man, where like this was something that like I was sitting there in awe still. Like I couldn't understand. Like I never seen anybody do it before. Um, we were playing in a game and uh we were down three. And uh Rudy Tom Jonovich was our coach at the time and and he drew up a play. And Kobe looked at him and was like he took the board, erased everything that Rudy had drew up, and he was like, no, this is what we're going to do. <laughs> Jermaine, back screen here, I'm going to do this. You screen for me here. I'm going to come off of here, and I'm going to shoot the three, and then we're going to go into overtime, and then we're going to win. <laughs> and, you know, all the players sitting in here, ah, because this just doesn't happen at all where a player does this, so – Everybody's looking around like, man, what is Rudy gonna say? <laughs> so Rudy, so Rudy, uh, Rudy is looking around and he's like, well, all right. So, <laughs> and all of us are like, all right. So then everybody's like, well, what happened? I say, man, exactly what he said. <laughs> he went up there. He came up there. He hit the three, and then we won in overtime. And I was like, man, the, the guy, like. And he just came off that on the fly, like the guy when it comes to X's and O's and picking his spots on the basketball court. He was a genius. He was a perfectionist. Like you know, anytime I came into practice, the hour early, he was deep. He was drenched in sweat. He would always be like, "Jermaine, come here, man. Um, if I if I do this right here, how would you guard?" And I and I tell him how I would guard it, and he would be like. That's exactly what I thought you was going to do. And then I'll do this. Like, he was a perfectionist like that, where he always wanted to counter to every move that he had. And when it came to X and O, he knew he knew teams played before they even, before they was even going to run it. So when it came to, it, when you're talking about players, nobody was like Kobe Bryant. 
when it came to basketball IQ. That's awesome. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you, man, just because every kid, every Hooper when they're a kid, dreams of getting drafted into the NBA. So as a first-round draft pick, can you tell us what your experience was like on draft night? Ooh, man, it was tough on me on draft night, man, because I was, uh, you know, I had left school early. I had left University of Georgia after two years. So, you know, every mock draft had me being drafted in the lottery. Um, you know, I was invited to the draft and everything. So they only invited the guys that was going to make the lottery to the draft. So that experience was uh, – tough on me man I didn't think it was gonna go the way it did because uh, Cleveland told me like listen if Sean Marion goes to Phoenix at nine we're gonna draft you at 11 so Sean Marion got drafted at nine and Cleveland drafted Trajan Langdon who nobody expected to get drafted in the first round <laughs> everybody was wondering everybody was shocked like where did this come from and it was so tough on me because I had only worked out for the lottery teams. <laughs> so now I'm sitting here thinking like, okay, who's going to draft me now? Cause I haven't worked out for any of these teams. And luckily, um, you know, the thing that happened where I had worked out uh, in Philadelphia, ended up going to one of the 76 practices and uh, watched them practice and actually had a conversation with Larry Brown for like an hour. And, uh, from that day, man, my agent was like, man, I don't know what you said or did with Larry Brown, man, but he's been he's been trying to move up just so that he can draft you in the lottery he's, because he know that's the only chance that he's going to get. So luckily, <laughs> I had a good, uh, you know, conversation with Larry Brown. Um, he ended up uh, working a deal out with the Atlanta Hawks um, where, you know, they could draft me and they can do a deal to trade me that same night. But it, it was tough on me, man. I, all I was doing was looking at this agent like, man, you told me I was going to be pick, a lottery pick, man. What am I going to do now? And I was in there so nervous, man, because I was thinking like, man, I left school early and and I'm now I'm not even going to get drafted in the first round. And he was looking like, man, Jermaine, relax. You're going to get in there. It, it was tough on me. I was sweating bullets that night because I, I was so uh, concerned about if I was going to be drafted in the first round or not. So to finally be able to hear my name at the 27th pick, man, it was it, it was it was crazy that night because nobody knew after after that where I was going to go. So that was that was tough on me. But then I, I found out later on the reason why I dropped in the draft is because I have sickle cell trait. And teams were um, thinking that I had sickle cell, which is uh, totally different. So that was one of the things that the reason why I dropped in the draft. And, and I was like, man, that was that was that was a tough night for me right there, man. Yeah, that's a pretty terrible mistake on their part. But uh, uh, right, <laughs> because like because you expected to go to Cleveland at that pick, and you uh, Trajan Langdon got picked instead there did you kind of have Cleveland games marked off on your calendar and like a bit of a chip on your shoulder when you went up against that team and him especially before you ended up going there well you know you're any athlete that uh, any any athlete especially a professional athlete man you try to use anything as you know venom to be able to go out and perform so definitely every time I played Cleveland I wanted to go out and, uh, and perform and do my best. And it was, and it was crazy, you know, after my second year, um, I ended up being in Cleveland. <laughs> awesome. So we'll close this off with kind of one last question. 
looking at the NBA now, do you have a favorite team to like win the finals? Do you, do you think there's like a front runner this year, especially after everything that just happened with Brooklyn the past few days? Um, do you have like a favorite team to win the finals? And then do you have any like sleeper teams or some players that you think are slept on as a whole? Well, I um, definitely think the, the, the Lakers got better. Um, I think they're better than they were last year. Um, I think they picked up, they got younger. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I just think sometimes that LeBron is the GM over there because, you know, a lot of people's talking about Rondo, but, you know, Rondo's getting older, you know, you know, this game is all about being healthy. So for them to go get Schroeder, who was younger, um, you know, Dwight Howard always battled with injuries and, and stuff like that. So I think they did a good job by going to get uh, the guy from the Clippers. He's younger. You know what I mean? Like he got a lot of youth, uh, you know, to come in and, and LeBron's IQ is so high for the game of basketball. He, he knows pretty well how to use um, the youth where he can be able to, you know, save you, his body. That's why he's been able to last so long because he's very good at, at uh, uh, being able to do that. So I, I definitely favor. I don't think it's even close where anybody can compete with the Lakers this year at all. Okay. And, and my sleeper team for this year, and I told people this um, all the time, you know, once they fired Doc Rivers, you know, because I'm a Sixers fan, I told them, I was like, man, if Doc Rivers goes to – to the 76ers, they're going to the finals. And, and, the reason, and the reason why I say that is because, um, you know, no offense to the coach, because I thought, you know, he was a great guy. But I just didn't think that he fit what Philadelphia was doing. He had a bunch of younger guys over there that really need somebody that's stern and that was respected. And Doc Rivers fit that role right in. And, you know, I think guys, those younger guys over there were pretty you know, see more about um, Doc Rivers than the coach that they had. And Doc Rivers going to have a lot on his chest, too. He, he wants to prove to the world that he's that coach. And that's why I feel like they're going to make the uh, final. Sorry about your Celtics, but they, they won't make it. <laughs> okay. That hurts me. I, have you seen Jalen Brown this year so far? I, that's all I need to say. Dude's looking like a superstar. Listen, I agree with both takes, honestly. I think I think the Sixers made good moves around the offseason, you know, surrounding Embiid and Simmons with shooters. So, I don't know. It'll be tough. It'll be interesting in the East, especially with Harden on the Nets now. But we'll see. Yeah, that's a whole nother topic. That's not going to work. <laughs> do you have any players that you think are kind of slept on in terms of, you know, they, they have more of an impact than most people think? Uh... Let me see. I mean, I I love Schroeder. I love Schroeder. I think he's 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 one of the most uh, underrated players in the league. Um, trying to think of who else um, is underrated. Um, the point guard out there in Portland. I think he's been overrated. Dame Dame Lillard. I think he's been underrated throughout his career. Um, there's one one more person that I think that he he's a beast too. What is his name? Sounds like you're good. describing Marcus Smart. Ah, get out of here. Get out of here. De- definitely not talking about Marcus. <laughs> I had to try. I had to try. <laughs> yeah, I, ca- I can't think of his name right now. I had a brain fart there. I, I can't think of his name. But those those two guys right there, I think, are definitely um, – they're definitely uh, – Ben Simmons. Mm. 
Ben Simmons, I think he's definitely overrated, man, for somebody that can still average 18 points without shooting any jumpers at all. <laughs> I think that I think that says a whole lot about a player, man, if you can do that. When people know you're not going to shoot a jumper and sit in the lane on you and you still can average 17 and 11 and 8, <laughs> yeah. I think that's impressive. So you think if he adds a three, he could be up there for, like, one of the best players in the league? I think that he would, they may have to change the game up a little bit if he can hit a three. <laughs> six, six ten point guard, never been seen before outside of Magic. So yeah, that's true. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time and coming on yeah, and talking with you. us. We really appreciate it. We learned a lot. We had a good time. So thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. All right, man. I appreciate you, man. I appreciate. It. Thank you. Thanks for having me.